Okay, are you all there? Matthew chapter 7. Good, I'm glad you're there. I'm not there yet. Let me just open by saying I love when Jesus was with the disciples and in Luke, I'm going to open with this verse and pray. I love Luke 11 verse 1. It says this, Now when it came to pass, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, that one of his disciples immediately came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples to pray. Father, I want to thank you that this request is still alive today. Lord, we don't necessarily need you to teach us how to pray or even what to pray. They cried out. They just, they saw you in prayer and they said, teach us to do that. Teach us to pray. Teach us to do it. Just as John taught his disciples to pray. And Lord, I pray that you would teach all of us tonight to do it, to pray. And thank you that you answered this heart cry of one of your disciples, and now you're hearing the cry of us disciples here tonight. Lord, Teach us to pray. Amen. Matthew 7, starting in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there who uh, among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Father, we just ask that Your Spirit would come in a wonderful way to teach us to do this Scripture. Grant this, Lord, to the glory and to the majesty of the name of Jesus that is written in the lives of each of us sitting here tonight. Amen.
The Greek tense of this verb and of all the verbs that are in this opening verse, ask and seek and knock, it's all the continuous present tense. So in other words, Jesus was actually saying, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. And knock and keep on knocking. Now I just say, disciples of Jesus, we must learn to pray effectively like Jesus just commanded us. We must learn this. And Jesus is saying, be persistent, be fervent. And be prevailing in your prayers until the answer comes. Amen. The answer just came. You know, there's an aspect of prayer that involves sweet conversation between two intimate friends. But the prayer that's mentioned here in Matthew 7 is not just relational conversation. Supplication is an aspect of prayer that prevails to move the hand of God into action on behalf of those for whom we're praying. Prevailing prayer is intensified pressing into God until the answer comes. Now this type of prayer is foreign to many believers today. But prevailing prayer is one of the most important ministries in God's kingdom. It is God-ordained as a means for extending His kingdom and His will on earth and for defeating the devil and all of his demonic forces. This is the pattern. This is the strategy. You know, there was a man from Wales by the name of Rees Howell. And Rees Howell's changed the course of many battles in World War II because of his prevailing, consistent, passionate prayer for the Allied forces against Nazi Germany. And in fact, there's an incredibly inspiring book about this man's life, and it's called The Intercessor. Rees Howells. How desperately we need people who will pray like this today. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 11. Jesus has given a really interesting story and parable to his disciples to teach them something about this particular issue of prevailing persistent prayer. Luke chapter 11 starting in verse 5. And Jesus said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of, of bread, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to sit before him. And he will answer from within the house and say, Oh, do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give it to you. But then Jesus said this. 
I say to you, though he will not rise to give him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And the Greek word translated for persistence in verse 8, it really means importunity. Now that's not a common word that's used today, but importunate prayer pleads with for others boldly and persistently. And it's not usually a prayer for our own needs to be met. In this story that Jesus gives, the man was asking for bread to feed a friend. He wasn't asking for bread for himself. And Jesus made it clear in this story that God loves boldness in prayer that will not take no for an answer. He loves that. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul exhorted saying, Pray without ceasing. Amazing how we read that so casually. Pray without ceasing. And we just move on to the next verse. Not capturing the heart of the apostle. Don't stop praying, is what he's saying. Now there's a price to pay in time and in energy as we engage in intense praying. Sometimes we may need to add fasting to our prayers. I like what Francis Frangipan says. He says, fasting will always get us there a little faster. <sighs> fasting increases our prayer power. We might need to wrestle in prayer. And at times, personally, I've walked at times I've paced back and forth. And at times I've knelt just like Jesus did when he agonized in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. We wrestle in prayer until the answer or victory comes for our release. Prevailing prayer often includes some level of spiritual prayer warfare. We might strongly proclaim God's word over a situation or resist the enemy in Jesus' name or engage in faith-filled praise. But the foundation for prevailing prayer is our constant access to God's throne. Dr. Charles Spurgeon said, He who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. He who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. This is a place of great power and we have yet to tap into it to the degree that God desires. The Lord wants us to take a responsible and active role in His will being accomplished on the earth. Not merely for just your life or my life or even the lives of our family members. We are given power and authority through prayer because we're seated with Christ. That's where the power lies. We're with Him. He's with us. According to Ephesians 2.6. But listen, to activate this privilege... We must 
be consecrated to the Lord. We must be filled with His Holy Spirit. And we must live and long to live victoriously. We are to be so identified with Jesus that we are one with Him in His death, in His resurrection, and on His throne. Both the crucified life and the victorious life should be natural expressions of our daily walk with God. The crucified life and the victorious life, they go hand in hand. Praying with authority requires us to be consecrated to the Lord. So we can't yield to sin and bad attitudes or speak words of anger and bitterness or words that hurt people or we lie or we gossip. We can't do that and still think that our prayers can really have great effectiveness. No, we are called to be holy, set apart for God. And for his purposes, not ours. And that includes the purpose of prayer. Co-laboring, co-working with our God. Now people of prayer are usually pretty normal in their homes. They're normal in their businesses. Even normal in their churches. But in the hidden place of prayer, they have Power with God. They exercise spiritual authority. They're not usually unbalanced or fanatical, but they do carry an awareness of God's presence everywhere. They walk in quiet power, intense commitment, and active faith. They maintain a discipline and a devoted prayer life. Because they love who they're talking to. And they love to hear his voice. I think of John the Baptist in John 3, verse 30. He says, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. But this friend of the bridegroom stands and listens. And when he hears the bridegroom's voice, this joy of mine is made full. We need to be friends of the bridegroom that are longing to hear his voice because when we hear his voice, our joy is made full. This call to God is not for a select few. Listen, this is God's will for each of us who are called by his name. We're all called to be holy priests unto God. And the Apostle Peter declares this fact in 1 Peter 2.9. But you, that's the plural Greek word, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are His own special treasure. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. A person who is spiritually healthy, listen to me, a spiritually healthy person will love to pray. 
They love talking to the one that they love most. So ask yourself tonight, do I love to pray? The unfortunate truth for many of us is that we are easily distracted from a growing intimacy with God. Easily distracted. Now some say, well, we're not all called to be intercessors. They immediately say that because they want to excuse themselves from this priestly ministry. Jesus lives to intercede for us, as we read in Hebrews 7.25. He lives to pray for us. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, as Romans 8.26 says. So if we are to be like our Lord, we must, Be people of prayer and intercession. Embracing the example of the Son of God and His Holy Spirit. The two of the Godhead persons of three are constantly praying. And you know what's so amazing? They're praying for you in spite of all your weaknesses. And they don't give up. I'm so grateful God doesn't give up on me. I have blown it and blown it and blown it. He's still praying. God is tenacious. He wants us to grab hold of that power. There's power there. So we need to ask God to deliver us from being unwilling to pay the price for victorious living. We cannot earn answers to our prayers. But there is a price in effort and prioritizing that we must pay. We need to be willing to sacrifice some things in order to intercede so that God's will may be done in another person's life or even in a nation. A man by the name of Wesley Duell, he wrote a book called Mighty Prevailing Prayer. And I love this quote. He says, Whatever gets you too busy for prayer time, whatever distracts you from holy prevailing, whatever robs you of hunger for God, for souls, and for time for prayer warfare, is a hindrance to God and to His kingdom. And you, as members of His body, cannot afford that. You have no greater ministry or no leadership more influential than your intercessory prayers. Especially in view that that's the chief ministry of Jesus right now. It's the chief ministry of Holy Spirit right now is interceding continually for us. And He just wants us to be co-laborers with Him in this ministry. Now this is a hard truth for all of us to hear. But we need to hear it. Many of us are praying for the salvation of family members. 
and friends and neighbors. God desires to save them. Amen. But we must persist in prayer because Satan does not want to release them. He's held them bound. And listen, he's not going to open up his hand and that in Jesus' name, I pray you'd lose my loved one. <laughs> he laughs at us. We pray one prayer and we think that's it. God is not willing for any to perish, but he wants all men, including us, to repent. We know we should be reading and praying, reading and praying. We don't know as we ought to know. 2 Peter 3.9, he wants all men everywhere to repent. So we don't pray in order to convince God to save people. No, we wrestle in prayer so that the enemy who holds them captive will have to give them up. Our prayers can make his hands open and their souls released to salvation. Pastor and author Andrew Murray, he wrote this, The evangelization of the world depends first of all upon a revival of prayer. Deeper than the need for men for the harvest, in other words, missionaries and evangelists, deeper than that need is the need for the forgotten secret of prevailing worldwide prayer. Hmm. Satan tries to keep us from praying. But if that fails, then he tries to shorten our prayer time and distract us while we pray. Get ready. The moment you are determined that you're going to start praying, your phone will ring. And the temptation is going to be to immediately look to see maybe what they say is more important than what I'm saying to God. Distractions are everywhere. The world is full of them. I remember during nine months when I was living with my sister back in the late 70s. Uh, I was with her for about six to nine months. And I would have numerous times where I'd just really start getting tucked with God in my, in my little room and all of a sudden her seven-year-old would just start wailing and screaming and wanting her way. I mean, it's just so easily. And in my thoughts, I'm thinking, Sissy, will you just give Jennifer a nice little, yeah, uh, a nice little disciplinary act, speak to her in a way, and if she doesn't listen to what you're saying, then show her the way. But I endlessly got distracted, and I'll never forget, I just thought, I'm, I'm getting, so I had, to, I had to go like this while I'm praying. Distractions are everywhere. And they've only increased. That was 30 years. That was 40 years ago. And if you can't distract us while we pray, then you know what? He wants to discourage us before we prevail. He'll let us think, well, you've prayed enough, so go and do something else. Prevailing prayer has the potential to hinder Satan and to free his captives. That's how important it is. 
Theologian Samuel Chadwick wrote, The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, or prayerless religion. (laughs) He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Philippians 4.6 says, Be anxious for nothing. What a challenge. Be anxious for absolutely nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Friends, this isn't just praying once. This is prevailing in prayer. It's praying persistently and praying boldly. It's interceding and engaging in spiritual prayer warfare. Now, like it or not, you're in the army of God. Our problem is that many have not even been to boot camp. Can you imagine going against a hardened, fighting force that has been prepared for battle? We don't even have armor. God wants us to press in, press in, press in. Until the answer comes. I had a friend in Rockford, Illinois, when I lived back there in the early 80s. Her husband wasn't walking with the Lord and this woman just battled, wrestled in prayer for her husband's salvation. She prayed for 24 and a half years every day for this man's salvation. And she wouldn't give up. She says, I'm going to die praying for my husband. Well, amazingly enough, he was friends with a couple of uh, fellas and I happened to be one of the friends of the friends. And, and I just said, man, I'm just so longing and agreeing with this sister that, that her husband's going to get saved. And he says, I need to let you in on a very, very profound secret, but you have to promise you won't tell anyone. Okay. He said, he got saved seven months ago, but he's terrified to tell her. <laughs> she would get him on a speaking tour of wanting to share his testimony, and he's terrified in front of people. And I just went... What an act of persistent prayer every day praying for her husband. I had moved out of Rockford when I heard that he finally told her and the party that they had, and she promised that she wouldn't get him to share that in front of anyone. But he had the boldness of God once she released him that he shared his testimony all over the city. Mm. Yeah. We need to press in until the answer comes, even if it's 24 and a half years. Even if it's the rest of our life and we do not see the answer. God's looking for the consistency and the faithfulness in the process. And we need to be thanking God. I'm thrilled because she said, you know what, even though he's not saved, I'm thanking God. I've already seen him on his knees weeping before the Lord. That's the prayer of faith. Seeing as though it's not happening. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that are not seen. She had faith to see tears coming down his eyes. Hmm. Thanking him. God, I thank you. You're saving my husband. She had seven months of thanking that, and it was reality. Friends, if we pray this way, God promises his peace. The shalom of Jesus. One of the most treasured possessions and gifts that he has. His peace will guard our hearts and the way we think. That's the promise. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. That's the process. Ezekiel 22.30 says, For I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. God still looks for those today who will stand between Him and the needs of others in intercession. You know, a very significant woman in the New Testament was the prophetess Anna. Prophetess Anna. Amazingly, she's only mentioned in three verses in all the Bible. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. Her father was Phanuel, and his name comes from the root of the same word, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, Anna bore the fruit of her father's name, God was with Anna. Well, this is why he was really with her in a special way. After seven years of married life, and they married young in those days, so she was a young widow. She was suddenly widowed, and from that point on, she gave herself to a lifestyle of prayer and fasting in the temple. Every day, she went to the building to pray. Anna loved to be with God. She gave her entire life to prayer ministry in the courts of the Lord. And this amazing woman spent decades in priestly intercession in God's house. Decades. What kind of eternal reward you think was awaiting Anna when she got there and died. Wow. Decades of intercession. It made her so sensitive to the Lord that when Jesus was brought into the temple, she immediately started singing His praise. There was a recognition of a presence of God because she was communing with the one she loved, and there he was in the flesh. When daily communion with God becomes the delight of our lives, this is the place where God wants to bring this. In Anna's case, it was the, the, the delight of her life. She couldn't wait to get to the temple. Now, yes, she could pray where she was, but there was something special about location. When communing with him becomes the delight of our lives, 
everything comes into proper perspective. Everything. Oh, Holy Spirit, please bring us to that place of delight in communing with God in our prayers. Friends, I tell you tonight, the secret of prevailing prayer is simply to pray and pray and pray until the answer comes. Lastly, I want to share a, I want to share a final story about my only sister. I hope I can get through this. Sissy was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 2005. I had been living in Israel since 1982, so I really didn't have much adult life with my sister. But I still loved her dearly. And we came back to the States just about every 15, 18 months. And I watched her battle for three and a half years with a cancer that only has a less than 1% recovery. But she resisted hearing anything about Jesus or going to heaven. She refused to think about dying and wouldn't allow any of the family members to talk about death at all. She saw that a number of her support group were dying off because ovarian cancer is that devastating. So she stopped going to the support group so she had no support other than the family. Wasn't going to church. Didn't want anything to do with God or heaven. Well, in 2008, Janet and I left Jerusalem for a visit and her heart was still hard about God. We even gave her some books that summer. Janet had really, both of us had really prayed about what books to give her. We gave her one about heaven. And she just, her whole countenance changed when she saw that it was about heaven. And I remember saying, well, Sissy, if you were going to go to Italy, wouldn't you want a travel guide map to know where to go in Italy and what to do and what's it like there in Italy? Now, that, that's what this book is about. It's, it's looking to tell you what, what heaven is like. And she, she just put it aside and said, oh, okay, thanks. Remember, we returned home, and several months later, she took a real turn for the worse. We prayed about getting an immediate flight from Tel Aviv to Chicago, and we also prayed for an opportunity to share Jesus, which we had been praying for all of our family for years but especially since she was diagnosed with cancer, we went into high gear for, for my sister. We also prayed that the Lord would soften her heart and that she'd get saved. The year before, I was so deeply stirred because I listened to a testimony of a man that spent 23 minutes in hell. And it was one of the most powerful, it was the most powerful thing I had listened to in all of 2007. And my sister was refusing anything about God. Anything about God. 
Well, she took a turn for the worse. And I remember they had it give her 13 pints of blood in 24 hours. And our friends in Jerusalem said, you better go. It sounds like the cancer has moved into her bone marrow. So we immediately made emergency reservations and we could only be there for maximum of 17 days. So we went there and they're just, every day, Janet and I are interceding with my mom as well. My mom was a believer that prayed me into the kingdom. We're just praying for an open door. We can see that when I saw my sister, she looked like she was a Holocaust survivor. Her back had all, you could see every one of her ribs. And still she didn't want to hear anything about God. For 16 days, we were praying, fasting, believing, and begging God. She was still resistant to get right with God. The last day, our bags are packed. We left them at the place we were staying and we came for our last visit. All the way there, we begged God for an open door. God absolutely gloriously orchestrated our last hour visit with Sissy in absolutely amazing ways. Just in those ways is a story of itself. So our last day there was her first day on hospice. And when we got there, the hospice nurse was already there. And was with her in her bedroom with the family, and we, could, we were on the outside hearing the instructions that the hospice nurse was giving. And amazingly, when the family came out of the room, I looked at Jen and said, go. Because we had, we had already prayed and believed what the strategy was going to be if the door opened. When Janet went into the room, she shared with my sister. And my sister just said, it's too late. It's too late. And Janet shared with her about the thief on the cross. Today you shall be with me in paradise. If you believe and fully entrust your life into the Savior's hands. So when the time came, when the set time came, my sister completely surrendered her life to God. She died a few weeks later. But I'm going to see her in heaven. Prevailing prayer is what moves the heart of God to break hard hearts that are resistant. That do not want to walk in the ways of God. God is waiting for us to stand in the gap on behalf of those who are resistant. Let's pray. Lord, you want us all to pray like Jesus. Father, you do. You sent him as our perfect example. Jesus, if we ever would have had that privilege of watching you pray, we would have asked the same question. Lord, 
Teach us to pray. Teach us to do it. It starts with discipline, but it changes to desire. And desire becomes delight. And delight becomes the passion of our lives. Lord, would you show us what areas that we need to prevail in order to intercede effectively. I pray we won't give up. Perhaps we've laid down a prayer burden that you, God, at one time gave us. And we've seen little fruit like I did in my sister. God, it broke my heart seeing her hardness. But Father, you're waiting for your sons and your daughters to desire a greater intimacy with you. That's the essence of prayer. Draw us to yourself tonight, I pray, O oh God. I pray you'd give us the grace to persevere in prayer until the victory comes. Janet, come and pray. Our, our loved ones and that would be a natural way to 